This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne CBD. Today's big question, how can we live without fear? My guest today is Dr. Ji-Hun Kim. Dr. Ji-Hun Kim is Head of Developmental Psychobiology at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health at the University of Melbourne. She's a popular speaker and science communicator and she's spoken at TEDx Melbourne. She regularly comments on radio and TV and has twice appeared on Channel 10's The Project and she joins me now. Please welcome Dr. Ji-Hun Kim. Thank you. <laughs> well, Ji, welcome. It's great that you can, me. It's great that you can join us. Now, you're the head of the Developmental Psychobiology Laboratory. That makes for a very big business card. Uh, what does that mean? Well, basically our psychology, so how we feel and how we think, changes once we're born as mm-hmm. we become an adult. And um, that has a biological basis. So hence, I look at developmental psychobiology. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Well, excellent. Now, you gave a TEDx talk on living without fear. Now, what happened when they asked you to do that? So that was really interesting story, actually. So you know that there's a famous saying that don't try to do well, but try to do good and you'll do well. And that's pretty much the story of my life where um, our journalist uh, manager at the Flory where I work um, was looking for a last minute writing from a scientist. So she actually asked a bunch of scientists to um, give her this piece of writing in the last minute saying, you know, if you had unlimited budget, unlimited resources, what would you actually achieve with your science? So I've always thought about these things. So um, I immediately wrote, I think I can create a machine that can change your memory. So I wrote this piece of writing and I actually thought that I was sort of, you know, doing her a favor because she really needed this piece of writing done. And that ended up being published by the Melbourne magazine in The Age. And that ended up being read by the TEDx curator, who um, John, who actually thought that um, I'll be really good um, for TEDx. Mm-hmm. But by that time, I still, that was 2013. I had no idea what TEDx was. So I wrote on, on my calendar at my desk and I was having a chat with my postdoc and she actually looked at my calendar and said did you get asked to do a TEDx talk and I'm like yeah I don't know if I should do it and she's like you'll be an idiot if you don't do it and um and then I met Obi John and he was like I was like I don't really want to talk about the thing the you know memory creating thing that I talked about in the newspaper and he actually said you can talk about anything you want and I said okay then I'll do the talk <laughs> <laughs> and then that opened up a lot of opportunities after yeah so well. you didn't know what TED was no, that. no, no. <laughs> but it's just changed life in some ways. Well, it's yeah, opened up a lot of opportunities. Yeah, yeah, like especially commercializing some of my science and things like that. It's amazing the exposure that has now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you spoke on living without fear. Were you afraid when you got up to speak? Actually, they edited it out. Um, it is just like this. They're recorded live. There's just one take. And um, also, I was supposed to be the third person during the day, but all this equipment failed, all these things went wrong and my PowerPoint wasn't even working. But John thought that out of all the speakers, I think G would be the best to handle, troubleshoot this situation. <laughs> so I was like a prototype. I, was, I became the first speaker and my PowerPoint, was not, nothing was really working. I didn't have a timer. Um, so first thing I said on the stage was, I'm really terrified. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, the audience just like cracked up laughing for ages. I think they edited that bit out. I, I and think then, they did. Um, I that really that. relaxed everything. <laughs> yeah, so I was afraid. <laughs> okay, today we're talking with Dr. Ji Hun Kim about living without fear. 
So, G, in today's quiz, I thought we'd test you on phobias, an extreme or irrational fear of something. Now, do you suffer from any phobias at all? Um, well, I still hate playing in uh, organized sports. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's, there, it's uh, not like incapacitating, but it's just, <laughs> yeah, I'll, just agree, I'll avoid it as much as possible. I'm horrible okay, and right. I'll avoid it as much as possible. <laughs> okay. I'm not quite sure if it's a phobia, but anyway. Yeah. It doesn't have... affect my everyday life, okay, so I'll it's not it. pathological. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there's two questions, both multiple choice. Okay. Question one, what is alliumphobia the fear of? Is it A, the fear of pain, B, the fear of garlic, C, the fear of heights, or D, the fear of being interviewed on bigger questions? No, I think um, it's definitely not the last two, because I know what they are. Okay, right. But um, <laughs> allium sounds like it, it's some, you know, fr like legume or like root vegetable related, so I'll choose garlic. And you're correct, yes. The <laughs> fear of garlic. <laughs> Uh, agliophobia is the fear of pain and acrophobia is the fear of heights and we yeah. get to locate a specific phobia for fear of being interviewed on bigger questions <laughs> okay question two which of the following is not generally regarded as a common childhood anxiety or fear is it a fear of the dark b fear of snakes and spiders c fear of failure and rejection or d the fear that somewhere somehow a duck is watching you Oh, wow. That's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Take your time. I yeah. know A and C are definitely very common yeah. childhood anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. um, but so fear of duck watching you, that's very specific, versus um, snakes and spiders. Well, I haven't heard of either commonly occurring in childhood, but considering that snakes and spiders, um, that phobia is number one in the world or in Australia especially. Um, that's why some people refuse to come to Australia. Um, <laughs> I'll go with D. And you're correct. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. It's actually, it's actually called anatidiophobia, <laughs> which is the fear of somewhere, somehow, a duck is watching you. Uh, yeah, you can Google that. <laughs> why a duck, of all things? Uh, uh, maybe it just could have been a bad childhood experience. Ducks are terrifying. Yeah, they do grow this big. I've that's seen them. Potentially. I mean, I'm not exactly sure, but apparently mm. there's a phobia. So, G, congratulations. In our phobias quiz, you got two out of two, Ryan. Congratulations. Logic. A big round of applause. <laughs> now, G, tell us a bit more about your research into fear and emotions. You specifically research emotions and feelings as mm. we develop, or particularly yeah. when we're young. So what have you discovered? And do fears of the dark or failure impact us? Um, so basically, I use rodent models mostly. I do have some human studies um, where I try to make them afraid of some things, <laughs> um, but mostly in rats. And basically, what we've discovered is that once you learn to be afraid of something, so this is specifically sort of you know experienced fear. Um, for example, if I have a terrifying experience right now in front of you, then I'll I might form this fear memory. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, what we've um, what not just me, but a lot of people have found that once you form this fear memory, it's really hard to inhibit. Like it's really hard to forget. Mm -hmm. And especially if you try to make yourself forget as an adult. Now, what I discovered is that if that forgetting process happens early in life, the emotional content of that fear. So you might still have this memory. Okay, this bad thing happened in this room, but the emotional content can actually be um, suppressed 
right. for a very forever um, as far as we're concerned. So that what we found is that how you forget fear memories are developmentally regulated. If you get them early enough, if you get it during childhood, um, then you may be able to erase the emotional content. So I first shown this in animals, but when you look at epidemiology in humans and look at like, you know, dental phobia or um, all these bad things like sexual abuse that can happen to your early life, um, people that have experienced positive or some sort of like, you know, way to cope with the early in life tend to not have this, you know, relapse of emotions when they re retell that experience as opposed to people who have not treated it until adulthood. Mm. So how do you sort of erase these emotions or change that? So the most common way behaviorally um, is what we call exposure therapy. Um, so you basically represent the um, elements of that experience that make you, um, you know, relive that emotion, but then you do it in a safe environment, letting them know cognitively, like, you know, thought-wise that it's safe so that you have, you can, you don't erase the original memory, but you are um, creating a new memory of the cues that are um, associated with that fear memory. Mm. So what makes us fear? Um, well, it's adaptive when you think about it. You imagine if you never were afraid of anything, right? Then mm. you'll die immediately. You'll jump off a cliff. You'll pick <laughs> fights with people bigger than you. <laughs> you shouldn't pick fights in general. <laughs> um, but, you know, you'll ingest And you pick fights with people things. who are smaller than you. <laughs> you're not afraid of. Yeah. And um, so, you know, so it is an adaptive, very normal um emotion that has been hardwired into us to protect ourselves so that we mm. avoid danger. So it is very normal. Right. Because, mm. I mean, as author Tamar Chensky said, without fear, we'd jump headlong into things that we shouldn't. So some fear is good yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Um, well, there are definitely like, you know, when we look at the brains, people who have suffered um, injuries to particular brain regions and one that, um, you know, if you get injury to fear part of the brain region, then you're known to be more aggressive and you know pick fights and things like that. So that's clearly not addictive. Mm. So can we then control fear? Um, uh, well, I try to control my fear. <laughs> <laughs> so it really depends on how you define control. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can sort of completely get rid of feeling afraid or especially if you have fear memories or fearful experiences early in life and you're trying to deal with that later in life I don't think you can completely erase that emotional content so one of the things that I advocate the most is that it is okay to relapse you know once um, a lot of mental disorders people think that they've conquered something you know I conquered addiction or I conquered anxiety but really there's no such thing um, it's very normal for you to relapse and that's not a failure but the key is not giving up mm. um, so that's in a way how I try to control myself but usually um, when I try to relieve my anxieties and fear I look at the Bible <laughs> <laughs> it's something that um, I get asked a lot actually and yeah. it's amazing because I was just in my office like like a bit late, like maybe 7 or 8 p.m. And then um, this new guy on my floor that I haven't really talked to, he actually knocked um, to have a chat. And um, anyway, so he actually said, the funding situation is so bad in science and you're the one of the people that people say and I observe as least afraid of the future of your job where everyone's getting fired all over the place, especially in Australia where medical research just funding has been cut down. Um, and, like, and he actually said, how do you manage not to be afraid? And I told him that, 
perfect love drives out fear. So I just try to think about the perfect love that comes from Jesus. And then he laughed because he actually said, I'm a Christian, but I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I get emails, similar emails wow. like that as well. We'll come to that in a second yeah, as we reflect. Sure. But because, um, because fear is not just an academic study for you. No. <laughs> um, because, so maybe could you tell us about some of your fears as a child, as you were growing up? So I moved to Sydney when I was 11. So I was um, born and raised in Seoul, South Korea. Um, and it's interesting when people go, oh, where are you from? And I say, I'm from Korea. And people go south or north. And they, I say, I always say south. And I said, if I was from North Korea, you should be very afraid. Because <laughs> 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 I'm probably a spy. <laughs> and um, so I was born in Korea. And Korea is a very competitive um, country. Um, and, so, and also Korea has a lot of... Um, Confucian values and I think not just pure Confucian values where they value education um, and lack of class system but sort of the really um, distorted Confucian values where your life is meaningless if you're not academically doing well and Mm -hmm. stuff like that as well as um, extreme sexism like oppression of women where Confucian says stuff like if a woman is loud and he phrased it as if a hen is too loud then that is the end of that family so in that way, I think um, it's not just my mom, but my mom was very oppressed and abused, um, sometimes actually even physically abused by my dad's parents um, and his family, his brothers actually mostly. And um, so I think that sort of manifested because my mom didn't have an outlet. She didn't have a job. She was just at home. Um, she, that manifests into her physical abusing me. So my fear was that, that um, you know, that my life was not worth living because if my mom doesn't love me, how can anybody love me, right? So as a child, I told you you can't erase emotion if you deal with it as an adult. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think as a child, that was my biggest fear. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. um, so how did you feel growing up? Obviously afraid. Yeah, I was, believe it or not, um, to my friends now, I was an extremely quiet child, yeah. So I was very afraid to sort of do anything or be anything because, you know, like I didn't know what set mum off to, um, you know, that cascade into the abuse, yeah. So I was just trying to keep low and not do anything. Mm. (laughs) It's okay, no. If you need to take a moment, that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) I love my mom. (laughs) We're very good friends now. But as a child, honestly, that's how I felt. And I'm not giving her an excuse, but I think that she didn't have any other ways to cope either Mm. mm, at that time. Mm. Mm. And so how did how did you cope? Um, I didn't really cope. I I was very um, suicidal even as a child. I remember like even being six or seven thinking that it would be awesome if I could just like have an accident. But I was too chicken to actually jump in front of a car because I'm afraid of pain. Um, I think so. I just sort of was very quiet, didn't express myself. And then, um, but when we came to Australia um, in 1993, <laughs> 3rd of October, it was a Sunday, it was um, God loved our family enough that he sent um, my dad's colleague's brother, who was a, he's a very devoted Christian, and I still really love him. He came and picked us up at Sydney Airport and drove us straight to church. And um, my dad received Jesus that day. Hmm. 
Wow. Yeah, so you praise God. You hadn't had a Christian background at all? Well, my mum was um, brought up in a Catholic family, but my brother was actually really faithful. Um, my mum's um, just a very passionate lady. <laughs> and um, she, so she met Jesus in um, Salvation Army, which is actually quite Pentecostal and evangelical. So um, my mum always prayed for us and um, she brought us to church. But I guess I didn't have personal faith until about 1997 when mm-hmm. I was 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what happened, that's when I met Jesus. What happened with your yeah. story as a... Uh, um, so that definitely changed my everything. So, um, like, I wasn't so timid. Definitely coming to Australia and re- my mom, you know, having less stress made our situation better. So it made me better as well. Um, although I still didn't quite, like, love myself or believe that I, I deserved love or anything like that. But um, but when I met Jesus, um, it was my mom sort of told all the church people um, that, you know, to tell me to come to um camp a winter camp mm-hmm. and I wanted to have friends and hang out so I went to winter camp and um, it's Sydney Full Gospel Church which is the largest Korean church outside Korea a branch of Full Gospel Church the largest church in Korea and we are super into praying for hours and hours and so I was like <laughs> 16 and everyone we went to one of those four hour prayers and all these children 13, 14, 15, 16 were just praying for hours and hours and I was like this is ridiculous these are like young children praying for hours and hours crying and like you know, bashing, you know, like to be forgiven. And I'm like, this makes no sense to me. But then I looked at the cross and I had this um, vision in my head <laughs> that um, Jesus, that I need forgiveness, um, that I, I'm, I have a lot of sinful things that will always um, try to bind me and that I need forgiveness, that I need to repent. And that when I did, Jesus told me he loves me very much. Mm. What did that mean to you at that moment? I think... I think it's hard to fathom that a perfect person can love you unconditionally. And I think that... Yeah, yeah I think that released a lot of um, fear and um, anxieties and bondage. And, and to, I think... And to be able to actually accept myself, not because I try hard or I'm perfect, but because perfect person loves you and died for you and that he's still alive and that there's this supernatural um, world that you can be a part of if you allow it. I think that changed me completely. I mean, I didn't change like that in my behavior, <laughs> but my insides felt very changed. Yeah, like a new person. Yeah, mm. that sort of changed your, the rest of your life in, in time. Yeah, yeah well, I, was, I start to be actually be happy with myself. Mm. 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 Well, thank you once again for sharing. <laughs> Sorry I'm, for completely breaking down. No, it's okay. <laughs> I didn't expect this. No, no, no. <laughs> um, now, the part of the Bible we're looking at today comes from the first letter of John. 1 John where he writes in chapter 4, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This obviously is deeply impactful (laughs) on you. What do you make of this? I think um, it's like sort of knowing that the supreme leader of the universe is also your father and also your best friend, and that... Even when you mess up, like compared to him, you're really not that great, 
but <laughs> but he really loves you and that compared to um oh not compared that even if you mess up it's going to be okay there may be consequences to your actions i mean there's consequences to everything just the law of nature but i think knowing that you won't be punished but it's more discipline out of love mm. that you are really safe ultimately is i think um really liberating mm. Mm. and really what we call in our profession anxiolytic <laughs> so reducing anxiety <laughs> yeah so what do you understand then about god's perfect love um i think C.S. Lewis, I think it was really good um, putting this. I really adore his writings. And he said, you know, Christianity is different because it's not like law. You know, we don't keep up with a set of rules to deserve some sort of love or salvation or afterlife. It's all about relationship, all about love and all about Jesus um, being paying that price. And um, he's saying, you know, C.S. Lewis said, but it makes no sense if Jesus was flawed. It makes no sense to pay the price with something flawed, like a goat or a sheep, you know. The, the price can only be paid by something perfect, like Jesus who was absolutely flawless. And I think that's how I see perfect love. Someone who absolutely doesn't deserve to die, absolutely doesn't deserve any judgment, any punishment, who is perfectly at one with the ruler of the universe, actually laying down his life um, and taking on all that sin. I don't think there's anything that is more perfect than that mm. in terms of love mm. because he loves you who's so flawed. Well, thank you. <laughs> and so how does perfect love then drive out fear? I think it's that security, like someone who knows all your deepest and darkest, even disgusting secrets that we can have. Not secrets, but even just, you know, fleeting moments of thought. Well, we have sinful nature, so we'll have this, you know, I always say, don't feel bad about your feelings right now because emotion is a reflex. It's Things happen, you know, you have a stimulus, you might have a lustful thought, you might get all these temptations. And even knowing that, even knowing all of those horrible things, sometimes secretly wishing upon bad upon my enemies and things like <laughs> that. Like even knowing all that and understanding, really believing the promises of the Bible that Jesus still dies for me and really loves me and wants me to be with him and be more like him. I think that gives me great security to really accept who I am and also delight um, and desire that you know, Jesus' presence and love mm. and living in that strength. Mm. Mm. There's also a sense in which you alluded to before that um, fear also has to do with punishment. And uh, the passage also says that uh, mm. perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and, and that's no longer there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, you also mentioned that relapse is a <laughs> common mechanism to deal with emotional memories. And you mentioned that this perfect love actually helps you dealing with relapses, etc. How does that help you drive mm. out fear, this idea of perfect love? Like I said, if you actually feel like you've relapsed into something, some bad habit, that's very pretty much universal. No one can just sort of kick off a bad habit that they've developed over the years or bad sort of thought processes. Um, you know, mum yelled at me, so my life might not be worth living. Like, for example, that... Um, sort of is not a true thought. Um, it, it, has some, it has some basis, a reason why you think that way or why you feel that way, but it doesn't mean it's the truth, actually. I learned that even if my life might not be going the way that I want, I still know God loves me. And just in that way, I also learned to know that my parents, even if they express love in ways that I don't understand, that 
they love me. And so, um, what what's your question? Oh, relapse. <laughs> yeah, relapse. <laughs> yeah, so we have like these super maladaptive, like, you know, unhelpful thoughts and feelings with good reason. And I think um, we can relapse into that even if you try to kick off the habit. But with all disorders, including actually super biological disorders like stomach cancer or diabetes, there's a relapse curve. And so lot of disorders, um, we can actually fall back into bad habits, bad mm -hmm. um, thoughts and feelings again. But knowing that that's okay, you'll relapse less and less and less over time. I think it's very helpful for us to um, know that it's okay to feel this way sometimes. Mm. Mm. And does knowing that perfect love driving out fear, does that help you with relapses as well, that the relapses don't get as big yeah, as well? Yeah, definitely. And also, I think I just relapsed less. Like, I now know how to manage my fear. Like, I pray. Um, I really believe that God listens. He doesn't have to say yes, but knowing someone listens without judgment, um, you know, reading the Bible, um, talking to other Christians or other friends as well. So I think you learn to sort of manage that fear. And also, God promised wisdom if you ask for it. So I always pray for wisdom to manage my feelings as well. So I don't hurt people around me. How do we reconcile this passage from 1 John with repeated commands to fear God? So it uh, says that perfect love drives out fear, mm -hmm. but the Bible also says we should fear God. How do we reconcile this? That's a very good question. Um, so I think when that fear is different from our normal everyday anxieties and fear, I think our normal everyday anxieties and fear really do like involve fear of failure, rejection, the future, you know, or fear of people's opinions. So I, th I don't think we can apply that sort of fear to when the Bible tells us to fear God. I think what that is actually really acknowledging and understanding that God is so supreme and so sovereign in everything. Mm. So it's more like that awesome, because you know that feeling of awe includes fear of the unknown, fear of something that we can't really reach. And I think that is what that passage is referring to, mm, mm. acknowledging that he knows way more than you'll ever know. Mm. Mm. Um, thank you. I think you said there's a difference between fear of awesomeness yeah. as opposed to being afraid because you're not sure if they're going to hit you or not. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. That's very different. And then yes. obviously, I suppose that Jesus or that God has demonstrated that his love by yeah. sending his son. And um, I think we do sometimes fear God in that sort of maladaptive way that being fear of being punished or being rejected or you know something bad happening because you've displeased him in some way and I think um, it's important to remember that at the end of the day he loves you and he promised that for those he loves he's going to discipline but knowing that that comes from a place of love I think gives us that sort of strength to be able to face it a bit better. Hmm. Well, thank you so much, G, for sharing obviously some very personal and some deep-seated fears in your life. One final question. How can we live without fear? Ooh, I think focus on God's perfect love, that no matter how much you try to replicate love, it's not going to be as amazing as God's perfect love. So not relying on our strength, but relying on Him, His strength. And when we are weak, He's very strong. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, how can we live without fear? From 1 John 4.16 There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I look forward to you joining us next time. For bigger questions, please thank our guest today, Dr. Ji Hun Kim. Mm -hmm.